Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. It's vitally important to understand and grasp the mission of Christ in the world. I grew up in Ohio. Like all faithful Ohioans, I grew up playing euchre. You see, euchre is an adored card game of strategy and skill. And maybe a little bit of luck. But mostly strategy and skill, mind you. But I remember a time when I didn't know how to play euchre. I remember experiencing the reality of being left out. Being an outsider who sat idly at the fringes of the table watching those who played and wondering how they did so. You see, there's a great difference between being an observer and being a participant. There's a joy in being participants even in a simple game like Euchre. How much more joyful and meaningful is it to be made skillful participants in Christ's mission? But if we're ever to do this, then we must listen to our Lord. We must hear what He has to say. We must understand His mission. On many occasions, Christ's mission, or Christ mentions what he came to do. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He comes to give life to those who have no life. His purpose is to give life to the dead. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Christ said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to find those who are helpless and confused and scattered. He came to seek and to save the lost. And when Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18, our Lord said, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. We should not ignore the fact that Christ caused a great confrontation when he entered the world. Why? Because he came to a place steeped in fallacy. And he came to this place to bear witness to the truth. He brought division, destruction, and domination. And this is precisely what we discover in our gospel reading today. Here Christ concludes his first charge to his disciples by giving insight to his mission. But this time he does not mention what he came to do. No, he mentions what he came not to do. He says that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, why does Christ make this point? What is behind this negative statement 
Could it be that we have a propensity to think that we are only sick in sin when we are in fact dead in sin? Could it be that we have a propensity to think that we can have unity by means other than Christ alone, whether it be our structures or nationalities or families or anything else? Could it be that we should be reminded that if Christ is to bring union, then he must also divide, destroy, and dominate? If we do not grasp Christ's mission here in our gospel reading, then we may fool ourselves and we may fool others too. If Christ is to unite us in him, he must divide us. He must destroy our carnal desires, our sinfulness, our wickedness. Yes, he must dominate us. This is how his mission will be fulfilled in us. We must grasp it. But initially, this may perplex us because we remember that angelic choir in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, that appeared before those shepherds singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Or we remember Christ's words to his disciples in the upper room. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Or what about Isaiah's prophecy where he called Christ the Prince of Peace? How can Christ be given such a title? How can Christ leave such a gift? And how can these angels promise such a heavenly reward to earth? And yet Christ can state that he came not to bring peace but a sword? Well, the answer to this question lies in those words, I have come. Christ shows that he came to this world from somewhere else. A place exceedingly different. A holy place. And in John chapter 3, verse 13, we are told that that somewhere else is in fact heaven. You see, Christ's mission is about this cosmic reality of his creative activity. He creates out of nothing. He speaks things into existence. You see, just as God separated the light from darkness, the waters from the waters, the day from the night, through his word in Genesis 1, so was the word made flesh to separate believers from those persons and those values that are outside the faith. The same truth that unites believers must separate them too. Like those on Pentecost who were cut to the heart when Peter preached, so must we be cut to our hearts, separated from the world. We must not love this world more than our Lord. Yes, we must caution ourselves from presumptive thinking and endeavors that do not consider our real redemptive need. We must be separated, divided by Christ himself. 
The grain must be threshed. The good and the bad must be separated. You see, we cannot rid ourselves from the inevitable conflict that exists. Only Christ can do this. We are at his mercy. We must turn to him and pray that he so move our hearts so that we be separated and loosed from the flesh, the world and the devil. Why? So that we depart this world happily, not dreadfully, as the old Reformation sermon says. If we be dead in Christ, then we have no reason to fear death. We have no reason to fear the loss of worldly honor, riches, possessions, and carnal desires. Why? Because we have already lost them. Christ has already caused us to die to them. He has separated us from wickedness, the wickedness of the world. When Christ fills our heart with true faith in Him, He moves our wills to Him and makes our minds like His. So here we see that the gospel causes division. That Christ did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We should not think that it's strange when we are drawn away from our families and friends because of our love for Christ. No, we should expect this. Our worth is in Christ alone and nothing else. And if we rest in Him, we will find ourselves torn apart from those things of the world. Jesus frequently speaks of wealth. In fact, this is the second most common thing that Jesus speaks of. And here it's no different. When he says that he has come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, he is saying that our worth, that our value must be in Christ alone and nothing else. The only inheritance, the only promise, the only reward that makes us worthy of him is Christ himself. How often are we like Jacob, who came out of the womb grasping the heel of Esau? How often are we like that man who spent much of his life striving to find his worth, not in the promise of God, but in the promise of man? But when he grasped the good news of God's promise, he could no longer run as he had before, chasing after worldly possessions. God separated him unto eternal promise. See how the gospel of Christ divides and destroys our worldly life? See how Christ dominates our very existence? But this is good news because he is a good God. We should certainly seek and pray for unity and peace, but it is unrealistic to think that the church can enjoy much of unity and peace as long as there is much wickedness around and within it. If we are to know that blessed union, rest assured, church, we must be separated and loosed from the flesh and the world and all wickedness. So let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
Yes, let, us, let us consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Separated, loosed, and dominated by Christ alone. And if we be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, then we must carry our crosses and follow Him. This is what we read in verse 38. We must lose our lives for His sake that we might find life everlasting. It doesn't matter if one is a minister or a hearer. It doesn't matter if one is a preacher or a parishioner. It doesn't matter if one teaches or is taught. All of us must lose our lives for Christ's sake if we are to be worthy of Him. Notice this word worthy in verses 37 and 38. If we are to have the wealth and the value of Christ, the worth of Christ, then like Him, we too must be destroyed. We must be loosed from sin and wickedness. We must suffer and lose our lives so that we gain His resurrected life. It's audacious to think that we should not lose our lives if the Master who went before us and the one for whom we are to enjoy lost his life? It's audacious to think that we are not to lose our lives. No, we must take up our crosses and follow him if we wish to experience life everlasting. Yes, we must endure hardship. We must deny ourselves. We must lose our love for others' favor. Why? Because if we are not willing to suffer for Christ, then we know not Christ's love for us. Let us rest in the favor of our Lord who sets our hearts on fire with love for Him. Beloved, when we rest in Christ's love for us, we gladly suffer. Yes, we suffer not so that we are accepted. We suffer because we have been accepted. Our hearts are filled with such a love for Him that we gladly suffer because we know that in our suffering, as Peter says, we are joined to Christ. Our worth is not in anyone else. Our worth is not in anything else. Our worth is in Christ Himself. Those who are worthy of Christ are those who gladly follow the example of their Savior and their Lord. And so we see that Christ's mission is to divide and destroy, but we also see that His mission is to dominate. To dominate our very existence. We read in verses 40 to 42 that He dominates us. He dominates His disciples. Why? Because He is God and He is good. He dominates on earth as it is in heaven. Just as Jesus taught us to pray. Those who receive His apostles, you see, Receive Him because He dominates. It doesn't matter whether they are people of prominence 
or not. It doesn't matter if his disciples are significant people or insignificant or people of standing in society. No, he dominates. Why else does our Lord say, whoever receives you receives me? And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. You see, Christ gives them his authority, not to entitle them to serve as pompous leaders. No, they are under the rule of the suffering servant. In Christ, there is no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free. Like Christ, his disciples must seek to bring good news to those who are lost, whether they be rich or poor or influential or insignificant. It doesn't matter. Their worldly status means nothing. Christ so dominates them that they are to care for the little ones. That they are to care for those who have little standing in society, those who are in need of those, those who are in need and those who are marginalized. And most importantly, those who are to receive the glorious reward out of Christ. Our bishop asked all Anglicans around the globe, to whom shall we go? Well, our Lord provides us with the answer. He says that there is a reward for those who care for these little ones. So as we labor in our Lord's harvest, we would do well to remember that all that we do is recorded and that we will appropriately be rewarded on that final day. Church, let us not overlook those who have no prominence in society, whether they be of the flock or whether they be not of the flock. We must not overlook them. Let us care for them. It's good for us to care for them. It is the Lord who builds the house or else the workers labor in vain. Let us do what he favors. Let us do what he rewards. Let us find those who are willing to receive the wealth of the Most High. And let us ask ourselves, are we helping or hindering Christ's mission? Are we dominated by the good news of Christ Jesus so that we are consecrated and set apart unto God so that we are loosed from sin and worldly values and so that we are happy to welcome in the members of our Lord's family. You see, it matters little what they look like. It matters little how they're dressed or what their social standing is. All that matters is whether they are those who gladly receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. May Christ so dominate us so, so that we see others not in the eyes of the world, but that we see others in the eyes of the Almighty. Amen.